Well, welcome. Thank you for coming tonight to Catholic Evangelization Organization on program for this evening. My name is Lisa Bellafato, and I'm a parishioner here at St. Margaret Mary, and we are so excited to have you all join us, especially on such a beautiful day. I know it's hard to uh, pull yourself away from being outside in this beautiful fall weather, but we really are appreciative of your time and being here with us. Looking around, I see some familiar faces of folks who've been here before, but also some new faces. So if this is your first time coming to a CEO event or you're a visitor here to St. Margaret Mary, we'd like to welcome you and hope that you feel very welcome at our parish. So I always like to start with a little bit of the purpose of CEO and why we, why we have this outreach program. Uh, and it really is to answer Jesus' call to all of us to be his disciples and to spread the word throughout the nations. And when I first started with CEO, the evangelization word was very scary to me. I don't know if anyone else falls into that category, but it would always conjure up for me, you know, being on a soapbox out on the street corner and, you know, pulling people in and just very much out of my comfort zone. But what I've learned is I've studied a little bit more and being part of this program is evangelization is just simply sharing God's good news, sharing his word, and sharing the love that we have for the Lord and our relationship with others so they can enjoy that. And that's really what CEO is about. It's a group of lay people, which are just ordinary people like you and I, uh, who are willing to share their story and willing to share their faith journey so we can perhaps draw closer or relate to some of the messages there. All of the talks are um, previewed in front of our CEO committee, so we make sure that they are grounded in scripture and Catholic tradition. Uh, and I think for those of you who've been at uh, some past talks, they're really just very powerful and we're very lucky to have uh, folks be willing to share their stories. So, I think along the lines of our, you know, why we do CEO, I was thinking about today's readings uh, at church, and the message that came through was about faith and prayer. Uh, Jesus talked about in the Luke's Gospel, he, he stressed the importance of praying always without becoming weary. And he talked about having faith that God hears us and is always with us. And then he closed, the gospel closed with a question that Jesus asked us. And he said, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And I thought about that a little bit. It's, it's kind of a powerful question. You know, what will he find when he comes back? And I, I think that's the challenge for all of us as we're here tonight. You know, we're, we all have very busy lives. We face the busyness of our lives. We face the, the worldly distractions that are there. And, and what does that do uh, to our faith and, and you know how are we responding to that and I think tonight's speaker really reflected on on that question you know I think he looked at you know where his faith was and kind of felt a little fearful for that and the impact it may have on his family and his story that I'll share with us tonight is is that journey and how he really listened to God's call and allowed his light to shine so I think we really have a, a good story ahead of us to to look forward to so it is my pleasure to welcome our speaker and introduce tonight's speaker, which is Bill Burnham. Bill has been a resident of Kentucky for 12 years. He's a transplant from Massachusetts. Woo woo, because I was from there too. <laughs> so I was like, hello, hearing that. 
and he has his beautiful wife, Anne, of 15 years and two beautiful children. He's been a member of St. Margaret Mary for four years and has slowly become more involved here at the parish. In a few minutes, you'll hear more about Bill and his evolution from an unengaged Catholic to a Catholic who wishes there was more time in the day to try to fit in all the things that need to be done for his brothers and sisters in Christ. So would you all please join uh, with me in a warm welcome for Bill Burnham. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, as Lisa said, my name is Bill Burnham. I'm a husband. I've been married for 15 years to my beautiful wife, Anne, and we have two lovely children, Cooper and Peyton, sitting here in the front row. I'm proud to say they're, they're here supporting me today. Uh, I'm a lawyer at a law firm here in Louisville, and uh, mostly I'm a sprouting Catholic. Why do I call myself a sprouting Catholic? Well, I'll get to that later. First, let me tell you a little bit about me. I'm a cradle Catholic, born to a family of cradle Catholics in the suburb of Boston, Massachusetts. I was the middle of three children, the only boy. My early years were a blur. As a youngster, we went to a, a large church up on a hill called Most Precious Blood. It was my grandmother's church for as long as I could remember. And my mom was her only daughter and would often be the chauffeur, taking her to mass on Sundays and other days. And uh, we, as a family, we'd go along with her. I don't have any particular memory of my family being involved in that church or any particular recollection that um, they tried to get involved much. The only thing I really remember about that church, and that comes from my parents, is that the priest, if there was an outburst from a child in, in church, he would just stop talking until the outburst passed. Many times I was the cause of that, that passage of time. My parents love, they just love to tell the story of how when I was a kid, I used to constantly yell in mass, get me out of here. <laughs> You'll see this was a recurring theme for me through much of my life. When I was about six, we moved from that citified suburb of Boston to a, a small town. Uh, we went from a neighborhood with small yards and houses close together to a town where there were probably more cows than there were people very much dissimilar from the Boston I grew up in. It was a place where parents didn't lock their doors. Uh, it was okay for kids to be out late playing kick the can. And since it was before cell phones, all my dad did when he wanted me to come home at night was just yell out the back door. Uh, it, it was a very safe place to grow up. When we arrived in Medway, we joined the local parish. It was called St. Joseph's. It was the only Catholic church in our small town. And as I recall, that's, that's the first recollection I have of my parents being involved in Mass. And it was the most involved. Minister, and was always willing to help the priest do odd jobs around the rectory. As the only boy, I would often tag along when furniture needed to be moved, and the priest would reward us by buying us pizza. My mom was not as involved in the Mass, but she made sure we were in the pews every Sunday. We were there most holy days. We went to Mass on a family, as a family on Saturday mornings. Usually they bribed me with uh, going out to breakfast afterwards. We attended Stations of the Cross during Lent. Usually we'd go out to dinner afterwards. We attended fellowship events like soup suppers. We had the priest over for dinner on occasion. I guess growing up, food was a big part of church, and that kind of continues for me. I felt like we were a holy family. 
even if I still retained a lot of that get-me-out-of-here attitude when it came to Mass. My striking memory of, of, my most striking memory of involvement was CCD. My parents were always involved as teachers, and at one point the priest came to them and asked them to become the directors of our CCD religious education program. They weren't the type of people to say no when the priest would ask, so for five or six years, they were the, the directors. And this was the time before computers and Excel spreadsheets. And so it was a pretty labor-intensive job for them to keep up with all the students and all the class times. And so as kids, we'd be drug along with them and we'd go to an old house, which was the offices for the, the parish education program. I remember some great memories uh, in that house. When my parents were busy working, my sisters and I, we'd run all over that house, up and down the stairs, uh, playing hide and seek, whatever we could do to keep out of my parents' hair. And I would often remember stealing grape sodas from the fridge. I guess there's that food thing again. We were there quite a bit because of class time and prep time, but it made church feel like the right place to be. The, the parish was the right place for me. And so I felt good about my faith. I guess as good as a preteen, you know, pre-high schooler can feel. We had no youth group or other young adult group to really engage the youth like me. But I was an altar server. I was the fill-in sacristan on Sundays when a friend of mine would be on vacation. As I grew older, I became a lector. And I was proud to say I was an altar server and a lector in the same mass. I've grown to learn that serving two ministries in the same Mass is a violation of, I guess, church rubric. Um, but God hasn't, hasn't struck me down with lightning yet, so I think I'm good on that. I started helping out of vacation Bible school. Some of it was to boost my college resume and, and up my standings when it came to scholarship dollars. But the other half of it was I wanted to be there. I wanted to be serving uh, serve with my friends and other Catholics, serving the flock. When I reached high school, I entered the workforce, kicking and screaming. In fact, it was my parents and older sister who actually filled out the job application for my first job. It was at a local grocery store, and I primarily worked on Saturdays and Sundays. This started to make Mass as a family difficult. My two sisters also wound up working at the same store, and inevitably our hours would be different. So I went to church on my own some Sundays, usually with minimal prompting, but occasionally I'd fall asleep during the homily, or I'd find something more interesting to read in the bulletin. Uh, our old church hadn't realized that if you save the bulletin to the end, it doesn't distract people during Mass. It definitely distracted me. As high school was ending, I started a new chapter in my life, one that would take me far from home. It was around that time that I became familiar with a, a line from Matthew, and I, I really started to embrace that line, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst of them. So for years, I knew exactly what that line meant. For years, that was my excuse for sitting on the couch or a bar, school, bar stool and not going to church. Only recently have I learned that I have been so wrong about that phrase. Not only did I not have any idea what it meant, I missed out on a lot of wonderful things because of it. As I left my small faith community to go to college, I believed in God. And if I wasn't always fully interested in going to Mass, I knew that Jesus was with me whenever I was with my buddies or, or anybody else because I had that line from Matthew. College came and so I was in school in Washington, D.C. 
There was no one there to bribe me with food to get me into the pew. The campus had a small Newman Center. It was only about two, two small rooms on the first floor of a, of a row house. It was really only crowded on major holidays. And the thing that most stood out to me was that the Catholic calisthenics were missing. You couldn't keep getting up and down and kneeling. There just wasn't enough room. First few weeks, a buddy of mine and I would go faithfully to church. But then slowly, we started to remind each other of all the other important stuff we had to do. Within a few weeks, I met the girl that would become my wife. Then it was me convincing her of all the other important stuff we had to do. And we were down to going to church when we felt guilty about not going. But my guilt was always lessened when I'd reflect back on that Matthew passage. We were together, so I knew Jesus was there. For the next four years, I'd come home on breaks, Christmas and summer vacation, and I'd go back to St. Joseph's. But it wasn't the same as it was when I was younger. I was too old to be an altar boy, and since I'd left, I wasn't on the lecture schedule anymore. A lot of times, I'd be in the pew, but would again sleep through the homily, especially if I was working third shift at the grocery store. At some point, I'd come home, and I'd start sampling different churches. I always felt like I had a good reason, though. St. Thomas, the next town over, had a 25-minute Mass. If I drove the other way, I could go to a 30-minute Mass. And if I drove in a third direction, I could get that last Mass in on Sunday at 10 o'clock before, before Monday came. I was physically in the pew, but mentally, I was nowhere near the building. But I graduated college with the belief that God was there whenever and wherever I gathered. So it didn't matter what building I sat in for Mass, or if I even went. So there I was, a man with some faith in God, but no desire to worship him. Travels to other churches left me as a man without a community to anchor me in my faith. My soon-to-be wife and I graduated college, and we moved to Massachusetts for law school. To avoid living in sin, she stayed across town with a family friend, and I returned to my childhood home. We went to church every Sunday, at whatever mass and whatever church would meet our schedule. There were times that we would joke we should just sneak in, grab a bulletin, and then sit outside and watch people leave so we could tell my parents that we were there and prove it by having hard evidence. We could tell them we saw the Smiths and the Jones and we had a copy of the bulletin to prove we were there. We could never bring ourselves to do it though. Looking back, at least this was a slight improvement. I was no longer skipping mass, but my mindset when I was in there was still, get me out of here. During law school, it came time for us to get married. We were gonna get married here in Louisville at our Mother of Sorrows over on Eastern Parkway. It was the church that my wife's grandmother and father had gone to when he was a kid. And it was the church when we'd come home for breaks to visit uh, my wife's family, we'd go and play bingo, or that would be the church we'd go to on Sundays. I remember when the, we were talking to the priest who was, who was gonna do the mass for us, and I remember sitting down across the desk from him, meeting with him, and him saying that we needed to take some tests and do some marriage prep weekend. So I'm a guy with, with very little uh, faith or desire to do that stuff. A test and a marriage weekend sounded just, just miserable. But we found a local church back in Massachusetts and we attended the weekend and we survived. But at the time, I remember thinking, I'm gonna spend my, my weekend with a bunch of people talking about Jesus-y stuff and uh, God talk. But even though I was warming a pew, which was a slight improvement to my faith, I guess, it was still waning. 
I was not active in any parish. My lecturing did not survive college, and I didn't really do anything to put myself out there. Going to Mass was simply marking off a box. A change was needed for me. I needed to return to Matthew for inspiration, but I didn't know it. If I was truly open to my faith, I would have traded in that verse from Matthew 18 for Matthew 5. You're the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. Just so your light must shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. I was far from being a light for my family or anybody else. But life continued. My wife moved to Kentucky for a year while I finished law school. And that year we were apart, for me, Mass continued as an exercise in checking off the box. But I will say my wife learned one thing in law school, and she learned how to negotiate. Here's how it went. Bill, we moved to Kentucky, or you find a new wife. I think you can all guess the outcome of that. We landed with my in-laws in Baghdad, and we started going to Church of the Annunciation in Shelbyville. I was still pretty immature, though not really aware of God's call to be a light to the world, but I found myself trying to be engaged in the local church. I joined the men's club, but that didn't really last. Those guys were too old, or at least that was my excuse. They all knew each other, and I was outside of my comfort zone trying to fit in anyway. I helped out a little bit at the parish picnic out of a sense of obligation, so at least I was starting to find some, some anchor to a parish community. And it was starting to grow my faith, even if only a little. Then my daughter was born, healthy and happy. But my faith life took a big step back. Just when I should have been raising that basket to let it shine, it had fallen again. Now I had a kid who had time for all that Jesus-y stuff. But physically, I kept warming the pew. With a young child, I wanted to eliminate distraction to other churchgoers, so I sat in the very last row in the back corner of the church. I kind of considered it my service to others, keeping the kid quiet in the back. My daughter got older, and we had to fight harder to keep those seats. One day, we walked in, and they were taken. We, those people, they got some real dirty looks during that Mass, but I learned a very valuable lesson from that. I had to start getting to Mass 20 to 30 minutes early if I truly wanted my seats. <laughs> my son came along, and I continued to do my service to the rest of the church. Might as well put my name on the pew at that point. After Mass, we'd go out to lunch, and I'd criticize anything I could think of. The length of the Mass, the priest, the lector, the usher, the guy who cleaned the church, the temperature of the men's room, anything in any anyone you could think of, I would criticize it. Looking back, I think I missed the irony that I was getting to church 30 minutes early so I could complain about how long I was actually in church. My light was growing ever dimmer. I was ever more certain that Jesus just wanted me and my wife to gather in his name in our living room, and I would call it St. Bill's. But Father Robert Barron, I guess Bishop Robert Barron now, in his Catholicism series talks about prayer. One thing that stuck out to me, and I'm going to paraphrase, is he said that even though God is all-knowing and knows what we need before we ask, he still likes to be asked. 
I have become a firm believer that he also knows when we don't even know what we're supposed to ask. About four years ago, God realized that I didn't know I needed his help, and he interceded without my asking. He put before us the, require, the need to switch from Annunciation to here at Mark Mary. Now I'm leaving a five-minute commute to drive to church, take me about 30 minutes, just to go somewhere I had no desire to be. Despite the chance to start fresh, I kept sitting in the back row, thinking I was doing my service to the other parishioners, again not getting involved and not letting my light shine. But as time wore on, I started to feel at home, kind of like when I was a kid back in my community at St. Joseph's. But I still continued to sit in the back, and the kids were getting older, and it was getting harder and harder to justify the need for the back row. My wife started giving me dirty looks when the kids were acting up, mostly because I was the instigator, fooling around, trying to make them laugh, mostly to distract myself. I was not the light for my family, and I think my kids were suffering. I was a bad example. It dawned on me, probably when I got a few too many dirty looks one mass, that I realized I needed to straighten up and become a better example for my kids. I needed to start lifting that basket if I was gonna have any hope of raising my kids to understand the importance of faith. Again, God must have realized that I couldn't lift that basket alone. He knew what I needed when I didn't even know to ask. After Mass one day, I saw a blurb in the bulletin about a program that was starting here at Martin Mary. It was called Wine for Your Soul. It was created by Jared Miller, who some of you may know, and was the former director of Lifelong Formation here. And it was designed for people in, in my age demographic, 25 to 40 year olds. From the limited information in the bulletin, I, I knew that this program was gonna be a chance to make wine, study the Bible, and have fellowship with other couples. Does anyone ever watch one of those TV shows or movies, and whenever there's a God moment, there's a bright light shining down, there's angels playing, there's, there's harps. I won't say I heard angels singing, but there was something about this blurb in the bulletin that really caught my attention. Of the three things we would be doing most, wine, fellowship, and Bible study, I'll let you guess what probably caught my eye first. I told Anne, we need to go. She was reluctant. This was her girls' night out. But for some reason, I said, I'm going to go anyway. For the people that knew me four years ago, and I will say there's probably no one in this church that knew me four years ago, except for my wife and kids, you would know that this is not the kind of thing that I would sign up for. This was so far out of my comfort zone. We're talking, I was on the West Coast, out of my comfort zone. And, and remember, the simple act of going to Mass was difficult for me. So now I'm going to be driving 30 minutes to join a Bible study with strangers that I, I don't even know why I went. I mean, I, I, I say a God moment, maybe that's what it was, but, but I went. And I went alone thinking I was going to stay alone for the entire semester. And if I liked it, maybe I'd keep going, but probably not. But after one meeting, I said to Ann, you should really look into moving Bunko. I think you'd love this program. She read, and I think... I was enthusiastic about this, and maybe that's what inspired Ann, but there was just something after this first program that, that made me really believe this was something for us to do together. And so, Wine for Your Soul is still going, still in its third year. Jared Miller's no longer here, but we still meet monthly. Over time, we've read a variety of books, Ladies and Gentlemen in the Bible, Tattoos on the Heart, Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic. Yeah, we, re we read the Bible too. 
We have discussions about the highs and lows of our life and how God impacts the lives of us and our kids. It's a small faith community that I'm happy to be a part of. And while the, pro the premise of making and drinking wine really got me in the door, I'll say we no longer make wine and the group is still strong. As time wore on, I started to reluctantly consider leaving that back pew. I stopped joking around with the kids during mass some of the time and noticed that they actually paid attention some of the time. So the bushel basket was lifting, but albeit pretty slow. Then another one of those God moments happened to me. Some of you may know the Hendersons, Wes and Julie. They came to Margaret Mary from a parish in Florida that had this program called Christ Renews His Parish. They introduced the program to Margaret Mary about three years ago. This is another one of those things for me. I vividly recall sitting in church one day, kind of back there, and this guy gets up, and my initial thought was, here we go, another chance to make Mass extra long. But this guy had an untucked shirt, and he told Father John a joke, and he, and he walks towards the altar, and he starts to talk about some weekend retreat and how it changed his life. Again, I didn't hear any harps playing, but the effect was just the same. I signed up for the retreat, not sure what I was getting myself into. As a lawyer, I hate to be unprepared. When I go to a deposition or motion hour, I know what the arguments will be, I know what witnesses are gonna say, and I know what my arguments uh, will be, and so will the other side. Now I'm spending a weekend at church without a clue about what to expect. I even asked a guy who'd already gone on the retreat what to expect, and he said, you'll sit in a circle, playing drums, singing kumbaya. I spent the weekend at church, and I survived. Probably the most impactful thing I received from that weekend was a family. The term friends who are like family. And I'm glad to see many of them sitting here in the church today. Now I've talked a lot about Mass, almost as if that's what defined me as a Catholic. To me, sitting in the pew on Sunday, regardless of what happened when I walked out the door, made me Catholic. For many years, I wasn't involved in anything but the Mass, and I made my life miserable because I couldn't even do that right. I've since realized that going to Mass is the easiest thing I can do as a Catholic. I sit in this building with like-minded people. No one telling me it was wrong to be a Catholic or challenging my beliefs. Sometimes a priest, I won't mention his name, may give a homily that challenges the way we're living or the choices we're making. But at the end of the day, for one hour a week, the simplest thing we can do as Catholics is go to Mass. What really defines me as a Catholic is what I do outside the walls of this building. I need to serve others to truly serve God. And since realizing this very important point, I've tried to go beyond simply sitting in the pew. I'm now a lector and a communion minister. In fact, I was mad when I was told I couldn't serve both ministries in the same Mass. Although that's the rule, I'll say that it's happened a few times and still I haven't been struck down by lightning. I've joined the Knights of Columbus and helped with some of their service projects, and my family's been voted Family of the Month. I've gladly served as a sponsor during the Easter Vigil for a couple joining the church through RCIA. I've been a substitute teacher for prep classes on some Sunday mornings. I've participated in and at one time was part of the leadership team for the wonderful Sunday night men's ministry we've had. Perhaps the proudest thing that I'm trying to do is, is my wife and I are now the, the heads of the Christ Renews' Parish Program, trying to keep it as strong as Wes and Julie Henderson uh, made it. As I sat down to reflect on, on my journey, 
I thought back on the Matthew passage way back in the beginning. Remember I said that that justified me sitting at the bar with my friends or starting my own church, St. Bill's? I was not even close to grasping the meaning of that passage. Instead, I've come to realize this. I looked for signs from God that I was on the right path. And I thought I was so important that I was going to get a loud voice from heaven. I was going to walk out to a burning bush. I can count on this number of times I've seen it. So here's what I've come to realize. I get signs every day from God. I just didn't know where to look. So let me give you a piece of information that, that I picked up, and it took me a while to, to figure it out. If you look to the person on your left, and you look to the person on your right, you're looking at the Holy Spirit. And that is what Matthew was talking about. When we're all gathered together, the Holy Spirit is, where, is with us. Now, when I go to a meeting with the other couples at Wine for Your Soul or at Men's Group on Sunday night uh, or the Knights of Columbus, I'm with other faith-filled men like me doing the works of Jesus. I'm with people filled with the Holy Spirit, and God is speaking through me, to me through those people, telling me I'm on the right path or telling me I'm on the wrong path with a gentle nudge on how to get back on the right one. All those years spent on bar stools and couches made me miss the wonderful opportunities I had to be with the hands and feet of Jesus and truly know that God was with me. Now, way back in the beginning, I called myself a sprouting Catholic. And that takes me back to Matthew again. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. I know that despite having lived nearly thirty-nine years, my faith is still on the surface. It's a tiny seedling. I like to think I've survived being carried off by the birds. I like to think I've survived being scorched by the sun. And I like to think I've survived being choked out by the thorns. I'm starting to put down roots in good soil, fed by the people like the people in this church tonight. I know God wants me and everyone else here to be in the good soil. So let me end with this. I still have that get me out of here attitude when it comes to church. But now I know it's not because of the mass that I'm trying to get out of. It's because I know that it's outside these walls that I truly get to show God that I'm thankful for all the wonderful blessings in my life. So thank you. Thank you, Bill. Humor, a lot of humor there and a very powerful message, so thank you so much for that. And we'd like to give you all an opportunity just to really reflect on, on Bill's message. And I'd like to just leave
leave you all with a little bit of a challenge. If we think about kind of where we started tonight about the importance of CEO and answering Jesus' call to be disciples and to spread his word uh, and to kind of get the, the good news out there. So, you know, perhaps when Son of Man returns, he will find the earth filled with his faithful. So I was thinking about that, and in Mass this morning, I, I was thinking a particular thing, and it tied in with Bill's talk tonight where he said, you know, that theme of being physically present in the pew, but maybe not always being there. And I strive so hard to really stay present during Mass, and because it, it's such a beautiful you know, gift that we have. And I was struck by the generosity of our God that he makes himself present to us daily in the Mass, in our Eucharist. He is there physically with us uh, in, in, in our Eucharist, in the Blessed Sacrament. And, I know we all know that, and, but sometimes I lose sight of the awe in that and, and the amazing gift that he gives us. And I was with a, a group of women, actually, uh, Christ Renews' Parish group that I'm with, and one woman told a story where she was sharing what communion means to someone of a different faith and that we believe that God is present in the Eucharist. And the gentleman said to her, if I truly believed what you believe, that God is present there, I would be on my hands and knees and I would crawl up to the altar to receive communion. And I, I got struck by that because I think it's easy to get complacent about you know, the gifts that we have and, and what we do. So my challenge to you, kind of in, in line with Bill's talk, is what, can, what areas in your life maybe have you become complacent in your faith? Where can we really invigorate our lives with, you know, seeing our faith through God's eye and the gift that, that he's given us? And to Bill's point of how can we take that out with us? So what areas in our life can we, can we really just really infuse with God's light and love? So, and one of it can be as simple as uh, inviting a friend, a family member, a coworker to come to our next CEO event because that's a great way to share the good news and for all of us to deepen our faith and deepen our relationship with the Lord. So thank you, Bill, for challenging us. I encourage you all to, to see what, uh, you know, maybe what you can see with some new eyes. So just in closing, I would like to let you all know of our next CEO event, which is on November 20th. And uh, so please mark your calendars. I see our beautiful speaker sitting here. Angela Springer will be sharing her story of how God was always with me. And again, in the theme of it's a faith-filled story of, of her journey of being a Catholic, but then also exploring other denominations and other areas and how God was always with her on her journey even when she wandered. So I encourage you all again, mark your calendars for that event, bring a friend to hear Angela's story and thank you. We're excited to get to hear you share that. Also, please mark your calendars for January 15th. We have a very exciting way to start the new year with our CEO program. Archbishop Joseph Kurtz will be our speaker. So there'll be more information on that. I can only imagine uh, the great story we'll get to hear when uh, he comes. So please, we'd love you to be part of that as well. 
Again, thank you so much for coming out this evening. We appreciate your time. Thank you to Bill for your talk and for you all for just being part with us and, and sharing God's love and, and his good news. We look forward to seeing you next month and over in the hospitality room. So thank you so much. Have a great evening.